Lockdown's been an interesting time for exercise. I found my friends are loving running. I'm loving yoga. It's been so good for those days when my mental health isn't at its best. So when I got recommended Sweaty Betty Zero Gravity Leggings, I was really eager to give them a whirl. And honestly, this kit has transformed my morning workouts as they're a perfect mix of supportive and lightweight. As sponsors of today's podcast, Sweaty Betty is offering 15% off their products for new customers with the code STORIES29. If you invest in one piece of gear for your run, it has to be the Zero Gravity Leggings. Thank you, Sweaty Betty. I guess it was also a point where I put my ego to bed a little bit with mm-hmm. the exhibition and then from there on in things I just like I got therapy and I, you know I did all the things that I should have done in my early 30s and I didn't do them hey guys welcome back to stories of 29 where I pixie lot chat to actors musicians and fashion icons about the age that they deem their most memorable and pivotal in their lives and careers Our guest this week is John Rankin Waddle, known best by his working name Rankin. And the year? He's chosen 2009, so let me take the listeners back. It was the year that Barack Obama becomes the United States' first African-American president. Taylor Swift's love story hit the charts, and James Cameron's Avatar became the highest-grossing film of all time. For Rankin, it was the year he got married to his wife, Thule, moved into his sleek new studio with adjoining apartment and did his seminal show at the Truman Brewery, which he says marks a notable change in his outlook on life, his confidence as a photographer and his sense of accomplishment. More to come on this. For those of you who don't already know, Rankin is a world famous photographer to the stars, publisher and film director. With a portfolio ranging from portraiture to documentary, he has shot the Rolling Stones, David Bowie, Kate Moss, Kendall Jenner, and the Queen, to name only a few. Fearless behind the lens, his imagery captures the flavor of the times. He began his career co-founding the seminal magazine Dazed and Confused with Jefferson Hack, tapping into the consciousness of the 90s and noughties with his intimate approach and playful sense of humour, having converted to photography at uni from a very different path in accountancy. He has since remained a prevalent force in publishing with another magazine, the biannual Hunger magazine, and over 42 books to his name. Recording once again remotely, Rankin and I discuss his growth as a photographer and as an individual, the importance of family, the grounding nature of his dogs, and the importance of boredom to the creative process. I absolutely loved this chat, and I've known Rankin for years, but I had no idea about his way of life or history and background in that way. And I just loved getting an insight into how he thinks. But enough from me. Let's find out from the man himself why 2009 in the age of 43 was his most pivotal year. Welcome to Rankin's Stories of 43. Hey, Rankin! Hello. How are you doing? I'm good, yeah. I'm really good, thank you. I'm in Suffolk in Ipswich. Oh, nice. I was trying to think of the last time that I would have seen you, Rankin, and I think that it was. It would have been at one of your amazing Hunger Magazine party oh, yeah, events. Maybe. Yeah. And um, that's like at your studio slash house. Yeah. I I've love got it a, there. I've got a flat above my studio in Kentish Town, but... I was very lucky and privileged to be in Suffolk when the lockdown happened. So 
I've been in Suffolk. Yeah, it's been really beautiful here. And I feel very bad because it's been actually kind of like a holiday in a lot of ways for me. <laughs> yeah, I feel terrible. No, has. that's no, but that's great. I mean, to have lockdown just out of London, out of the city, and to be in with all the nature. I mean, we had to really because we got four dogs. We just couldn't be in London, oh. so it was kind of we were kind of lucky, really. Yeah, I mean that sounds pretty perfect. But um, before we delve into why, because you've chosen the age of forty-three as your pivotal yeah. year. So let's first take a look at your remarkable photography journey because I heard that you actually started uni with the intention of studying accountancy. Is that true? It's true. Yeah, my 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 kind of stuff at school was all maths and physics and science. And so when I went to the, you know, the careers person, they said, oh, you should be an accountant. And my dad was like, yeah, an accountant's great. <laughs> so... I um and I I always was interested in art, but I wasn't very good at it. And when I went to college to do it, I was very very lucky to be put in halls of residence with loads of art students. And within I reckon a month, they were questioning me about why I was doing it, and and also they were doing such long hours. Uh, I was doing such long hours, and they were doing really like short days. And I was like, God, they're having so much fun, and I'm doing. 10 hour days like studying accountancy so mm. I dumped that fairly quickly much to <laughs> my dad's disappointment he was angry <laughs> when did you realize you had that creative like streak in you in your bones well I had a girlfriend at the time who was doing fashion and she was also a dancer and I, I used to watch them rehearse and I would make suggestions about what they possibly could do with their their routines and what they could do with lighting and and mm. it started there really kind of she really encouraged me to support her and I always thought that I would be interested in photography so my mate uh, back home had a camera and I remember just going and saying can we just go and take some pictures one day and I did it it was probably about April or May and I picked up the camera and took some pictures and it was like, it was like a light bulb going off in my head. It was like, this is it. And that was it. And it was, and then it became almost an, like actually a bit of an obsession. And Mm -hmm. I tried to know everything about it. So I read every single book I could get hold, get hold of. And I had to tell my dad, I'm leaving. I'm going to, I'm going to try this. And he was, he didn't really talk to me for about a year. No way. Yeah. And I had to go back and, live with my parents as well so it was really difficult wow and so was that like during your 20s you'd say yeah I was I was actually 20 when I realized that this is it that I didn't want to do the accountancy I think it was just before my 20th birthday I was like that this is it like I can't do this anymore like Love that though, because I I feel like a lot of people do stay in professions or you know courses that they've chosen. They feel like they have to stay in them for a long time, even if they're not happy with it. And it's cool that you realise at a young age, I don't. I'm not passionate about accountancy. I don't want to be stuck in this job for my whole life. And that you that you switched and that you found something that made a light bulb go off in your head and that you found something that you absolutely got obsessed with. Yeah. And I have to say, it's like, it's really been um, one of those, I've been very lucky since then, you know, I've worked really, really hard, but when I found it, that kind of 
changed my luck a lot, a lot. You know, like it really turned my life into this. I was, I, I guess, because I just, when you find something you love, my mum actually said to me, if you find something you love, you'll never work a day in your life. So and, true. Um, and my, but when my mum said it, it was, it was, I wouldn't have had the confidence to ch- change the career path if my mum and dad hadn't been really supportive of being somebody that choo- mm. you know, chooses what they do and confident yeah. in that. But when I did it, they were like, what are you doing? This is a terrible, <laughs> a terrible thing. I bet they're happy now that you did. Well, they, yeah. I mean, my dad I, My dad came to my end of year show for my first year and he, he was like, I always used to describe him as like a kind of Scottish Des O'Connor and he used <laughs> to wear like pale blue suits with salmon shirts and silver ties. Oh. And, I mean, he's amazing. But when he came to my end of year show, he, he, he drove me home and he said, you're either going to do really, really well or you're going to fail miserably. So I think oh. you've got, I think you've got a chance. So, and then he was my biggest, almost my kind of biggest supporter and fan. Wow. Yeah. yeah. He must have been so proud. Do you feel like if you didn't go to college, that college, you wouldn't have learned everything or it sort of made you who you are today? It's been a part of, big part of that. Yeah, definitely. For me, it's been a massive part of it because I, on the first day of, of going to the college, I went into the freshers week and at, at the a reception of the kind of college, they were giving out magazines, uh, which they'd made at college. And I, and I said, what is this? And they said, it's a, it's a, it's just a student magazine that we've made. It was called Succession. And I was like, what well, you made this magazine? <laughs> and they were like, yeah. And I said, what, you, on your own? You guys did it on your own? And they were like, yeah, our, our editorial team did it. And then we designed it and then we got it printed. And, and that, that was another light bulb moment for me. It was like, what well, you can actually make a magazine. Mm. And that really led me to student union. And then that led me to doing student magazines, which led me to doing Days and Confused. Yeah, so interesting. What would you say to your 20-year-old self now? Like, Is there any advice that you would give your 20-year-old self oh, that you, you think you needed to hear back then? So much advice. So <laughs> much advice. The first thing I'd say is is arrogance is okay, but it shouldn't come with, you know, r- rudeness. You don't you, you don't need to be rude and arrogant. You can be arrogant and and have a bit of humility mm-hmm. with it. I was just I just thought I was right about everything, and I think I always say to students that when I do talks with students, I, I always say that look around you now because they're a lot of the people that are beside you are going to be with you in this industry in 20 or 30 years. And what you don't want to do is make enemies that are, are enemies for life. And there's nothing yeah. wrong with having a couple of enemies. In fact, it, it, it makes you probably a better person. But, mm. but you know, I was just a bit of an idiot. Like I said, things that I shouldn't have said and, you know, stuff like that. So just, but, you know, to, turn the volume down from 13 to 9 would yeah. be my would be my advice maybe like that's what then got you on to where you got to or do you know yeah I mean I think the thing I always believed in the hard work is is is, is a, a massive percentage of it you know so I don't know many people in the industries that we're in that do well that aren't hard workers I just think for me my my main thing that I regret is being 
a bit of a dick, you know. I just wish I hadn't been that. Well, I think I've, I think I've learned, you know. In fact, I, th- I think in fact, well, the year that we're going to talk about, I think, was a a massive turning point for me, or or, or the point where I realised, oh, I've got to change my my approach to everything a little bit. And it mm. actually it started kind of when my son was born, which was ninety six, and then by my lo- like late thirties, I was going, oh, you you just need to be the person that you thought you'd be. And also a lot of, of what I thought being a photographer was when I started in the early nineties was being David Bailey and being like some sort of God like character, mm. you know, like, you know, being mm. a bit, a bit of a dictator, you know, like everything should be about me. And then by the time I got to my early forties, when I talk, we were talking about, um, I was like, Oh yeah. I mean, I'd done a, I'd done a, f- feature film I'd worked on so many music videos I'd really learned to collaborate and listen to other people and in my mm. early 20s and even actually sort of like into my mid-30s I was I still thought that that's what a photographer was and how they worked and that's how a publisher worked and and that kind of characterization of this kind of like person that, that you know says do, do as I say not as I do was how I thought you were supposed to be. And I, I kind of, in a way, it was against my character because my character is actually sort of more about kind of caring about people. So you feel um, like you were sort of in a place where you, where you weren't actually being authentic to yourself. Yeah. I think I was playing a character. I think I was playing wow. a character of, and, and, you know, I think my my ex, who's now uh, fashion ed- as the editor of Love magazine, she always used to say, "You loved a crowd because you could get show off," and you know mm. that's. And I'm, I was always better one to one. So, you know, it's also re- really a weird time in your late twenties, early thirties. I feel like when you are authentically yourself, as in you're saying your natural character is, is more caring. It's not this character that you thought you had to portray. Is when the magic really happens and when everything Definitely. aligns. Yeah, a thousand percent. Yeah. I was I was deeply unhappy in my mid thirties. I was deeply unhappy, like was um, that your thirties tougher I mean, than your twenties, would you say? Yeah, I would say my from sort of twenty nine to about sort of thirty nine, I was not in a really good place. And and you know, I realized like a few things. One was that I wasn't really good in social situations. So I would like drinking would be a mm. way of me getting over that or taking drugs. Mm. And that would be like my way of kind of going, you know, that that sort of numbing would make me sort of more confident and then act like an idiot. And it took me a while to work it out. I think also when I met my wife, it was a kind of it was a bit roller coaster at the beginning, but 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 when I re- we realised we were going to be together, that was like, oh, this is it! Like I found the person, and, I, and I'm definitely very. That's definitely like a thing with me. It's like finding the right relationship, and yeah, yeah, that makes you feel at peace more. Is it, so? What helped you work that out? So you said I sort of worked it out at the age of forty three. What was it that? made you figure that out and why is it your most memorable and pivotal years is that when you got married to your your lovely wife yeah I think there was a hangover maybe for a few years but that was when I kind of I definitely made a decision there was a few things that I did that year that made me go right I built a building and we moved into it for the studio which is in Kentish Town I had a massive show which I produced myself called Rankin Live 
I guess it was also a point where I put my ego to bed a little bit with mm-hmm. the exhibition. And then from there on in, things, I just, like I got therapy and, I, you know, I did all the things that I should have done in my early 30s and I didn't do them. But yeah, it was a brilliant year. And also just marrying my wife was, it was kind of like a full stop to just all of the kind of stuff that had happened before in relationships and which I, you know, I look back and I'm like, God, I was, I really should apologize to at least two or three people that I went out with probably will one day, but, but that was like, Oh, this is stopped now. You know, I'm get, I'm committed to this person. And it's like, it was mm-hmm. for me, that was it. This is it forever. I love own. that. So yeah, massively transformative year, pivotal year. It feels like, relationship wise your happiness and also your creativity I mean you've done some amazing things I always think it's hard to like look at the things you've done yourself like when when it's going on and realize like absolutely you're doing you know like with this exhibition you made it happen yourself and then when someone comes to you with the idea or a project and says oh we'd love you to do this do you do you find it more rewarding when it's something that you've created completely yourself yeah, I, I read something recently that says uh, the only thing you can do in your own is have an idea and then everything else around that is, you know, you have to work and collaborate with other people. So yeah. I think I, I'm always really the most excited about the ideas that were you originally mine and then mm-hmm. kind of creating a team around you that make it happen and, and that journey of making it happen it had problems, I should say, that journey, but it was a good outcome and I felt like, oh, this is it. And then since then, I've never felt the same pressure. And actually, over the last kind of couple of years, I've definitely been able to let go of things a bit more and say, if I'm doing a book, for example, yeah. I can let another, I can let a designer design it. And there's a couple of designers out there. If they heard this, they'd be going, no, you can't. What are you talking about? You're a pain <laughs> in the ass. But, but I've just done a book on fashion, which which I was really, really annoying about. And then I've done another one on music where I just went, it's okay, you can do whatever you want. I'm yeah. really cool with it. So it's kind of interesting. I can let things go a little bit more occasionally now. Yeah. And I love to hear other people's opinions more now. And I wish that's, I guess, if I had to give myself advice back then, it'd be listen to other people's opinions a little bit more because they're valuable and I just thought that wasn't what I was supposed to do. You know, I thought I'm supposed to be the boss and blah, blah, blah. But you enjoy actually the collaborator. You like collaborating. Yeah, love it. And also being the boss is like actually about inspiring people, not being demanding. And, and that's something that there's a lot of people that I've worked with in the past. I just have to say, look, I'm really sorry. I just was very naive. So when it came to kind of the realities of life, I was very late. So when I was that in my mid-30s, I was probably acting like I was in my mid-20s, you know. I see I see did you have big dreams and big goals like in the industry you're like I I know I can do this I want to do this and plan it all out and not be afraid to dream big or you just go with the flow no I'm a dreamer I'm a massive dreamer like definitely from the beginning of I think being knowing that day when I went to college and I picked up that magazine, I was like, I can do a magazine. You know, yeah. then we spent two and a half years, I think maybe three years, like really going, right, how do we do this? And kind of joined up with a guy called Jefferson and Jefferson Hack. And yeah. we just 
sort of team and we really loved magazines so much. So we dreamt massive and we learned, we grew up in public. Again, we were super naive and and made so many mistakes, embarrassing mistakes. But we were passionate in a way that it's really, you can't burn that passion out, but it definitely burned really bright. And and our relationship in the end suffered because we were so passionate and we had such a fantastic team. But And they've all got like every, every, pretty much every single member of the early days team has gone on to be incredibly successful in their chosen field and mm. they're very and, and very much because I think we all surprised each other about what how much we could do and how how big it could be yeah. and and then when you get that big you're like well I can go you know we can do a tv channel we can do a record company yeah. we can do you know what I mean so um we definitely crashed and burned a few times but once you've done it once you think oh I can do this then you yeah. that doesn't go that passion, that fire that, you know, you're saying you had at the start and is is it still as strong as it's always been? Yeah, it's more tempered now by a need to not be always working because I think it's more healthy mm-hmm. to balance everything. But no, I, I called The Hunger magazine The Hunger because I really believed in that desire and that hunger and how yeah. that how you can translate that passion into anything is is super important and exciting to me. So I'm still thinking, right, I've got three books that I'm probably going to bring out in the next 12 months. Wow. And I've got a show in my head that I want to do. And I've just started photographing these flowers and they're all starting to really excite me. So, I, you know. But I love um, that. Do you feel like that's just what keeps you going in general as in having a – you know, still having such a passion for life because you've got all these ideas and you're still creating. Oh, yeah. You know, when you like, I don't know what you do to get ideas, but I go for mm-hmm. uh, dog walks and, or I read. And, and like this morning, I'm like, you start putting two and two together and you're like, oh, wow, this is, this is just, this is what I live for. And, yeah. but I do realize that, you know, health and relationship and home yeah. and all those things that, that if you don't have a, at least a, a, a kind of adequate balance then it does suffer and I definitely mm. that's what I look back on before that year and I think the balance was just really off like so mm. off and now I look at that year and I go that's when I, that's definitely when I'm decided I was on top and I needed to kind of think about what my future was and and I'd never thought about it in that way before yeah I mean definitely balance is is so important and it's obviously family's really really important to you and I love that you reference your dogs I've got their names here pickle beans and squidge on your website so cute a new one called mavericks and he's got three legs so we've got four dogs one with three legs and we got him from a charity in Spain his Instagram is Mavericks, M A V R I X, the hooligan. Cute. That's yeah, he's amazing. And I, I think also just, well, I have to say, like, they, again, I got uh, our first dog in 2000 and late 2008. So, mm-hmm. and he really changed my life as well. So, my son and my mm-hmm. dogs have been, the, I'm marrying my wife, have been the big yeah. moments. So getting back into the year, did you notice a difference in your work 
after 2009, like what you were creating, what you were shooting? Yeah, I did. By the end of the year, I definitely felt like I'd got so much better as a photographer because I'd been doing this thing, Ranking Live, which was we did it for Oxfam as a charity project. So everybody that came in could be photographed by me for £50 and then we would photograph them digitally and then they got put up on the wall in the gallery that we were in. And what was great about it was it was, I actually had the idea in a dream and digital had just come along. And You had the idea in a dream? Yeah, it was really, it was really strange. And I don't, I'm not really one of these people that, that does this a lot, but <laughs> I woke up. And I'd had this dream where I was shooting someone, photographing someone digitally in a gallery, and then I was projecting it onto this screen. And it was almost like photography had become a performance piece in itself. And what was really great is that people could see the way I was photographing someone digitally, but they could also see the result immediately of how I was photographing them then. And then I would um, go across to the computer with the subject and each person would choose the photo that they liked. I mean, I think to now we've photographed almost 6,000 people. It might be more. Wow. But by then, I think we did two and a half, three thousand in the period. And mm. we were doing up to like 60, 70 people a day. And we did some outside of the dates as well. So it kind of, it was a really interesting period where we were just shooting and shooting and shooting and shooting. Mm. But that process of doing it very quickly so I'd probably spend five to ten minutes with people and that process of photographing them and watching what their I don't know their reaction to it was like and the fact that I had to do it so fast just made me I don't know much 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 better as a photographer and then after that I don't know my whole style of working changed it became much more Actually, if I analyse it, before that, I think I still had this feeling of fear that the work wouldn't be good. And then after that process of doing the show, I knew that I never wouldn't be able to handle any situation Mm. ever. And I think it obviously is a culmination of the, the, the period I'd worked up to then and then doing that. But it was that thing where I went... Oh yeah, I realise why I can do this now. It's because I don't make mistakes really. Like I'm so trustworthy in terms of the creative process. So, and I think that took a lot of I don't know. Weirdly, took a lot of pressure off of me, and I started to enjoy it. I don't know. Maybe it's like performing live. I don't know. I've yeah. never performed live. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, so you felt like it taught you a lot, and then it the pressure just went away a bit more. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Some shoots I would have like sleepless nights and worry about it and mm. kind of get stressed about it and and it wasn't a bad thing. It was I think it it actually adds to the create creative process, but it was when I just went, oh, I'm really comfortable with this and I'm very comfortable with how I get the best out of people and I learned so much about other subjects because yeah. it very few of the people were famous so I was photographing people that a lot of people had never been photographed or really didn't want to be photographed that was the other <laughs> thing like I had a couple of people that were so 
it was it was incredible they were really so surprised at what they looked like and mm-hmm. really so happy there were you know a few people were crying and getting upset and going wow. I didn't think I looked like that wow. so I kind of really I think maybe what I, what I realized is the power of the medium to really kind of I don't know be so emotive as a channel for, not for not for the people looking at the photo but the people being photographed and yeah and uh, I realized that the photography had this power to really embolden and empower the subject and yeah I think I knew that innately you know inherently I knew that before that but doing that project made me realize we oh like yeah it yeah and the other thing was I had a couple of people that hated their pictures it was only a couple and I think before that, I'd have really beaten myself up about it. I'd really have gone, oh, no, this is, oh, no, this is just, you know, terrible. This person, how can they be so unhappy? And then Mm. by the time I'd got to these people in the process, I was like, you know, I could actually say to them, I just don't think you like yourself. I don't think it's about me. I think it's about, you know, how you see yourself and, I'm really sorry, but, you know, I can't do anything about it. So it gave me this kind of honesty. And and that was the other thing is my honesty just turned the volume up on that because I just, there's no point in having that debate with someone, Mm. you know, about themselves because you know that if you're going to, if you lie to them, they're going to realise. So it was a really, it was was brilliant actually. Yeah, it it shows that photography is so powerful to get like all those different reactions from all different sorts of people but do you feel like when you're creating something and when when you're shooting and you're enjoying the process like your most enjoyable shoots where you feel like just really in it do you feel like that's when you get the best results or have you ever like really not enjoyed a shoot and then the results have been amazing would you always find it's better when you're enjoying it or it doesn't make a difference? That's a good question. I think that it's different for every photographer. So I think my whole approach to photography is for me and the subject matter to work together to create an image and to try and take them on a journey and make them feel included and Mm. enjoy the process. So for me, I find that I'm the happiest when that's going positively and in, it's fun and the subject's yeah. enjoying and they're relaxing and they don't feel pressured. And um, and most people, in, in fact, a lot of famous people really hate having their photo taken. Mm. I've had famous people cry because wow. they're not happy that day. And I, I think my main thing is to not be too judgmental of them in the situation and kind of, I call it set etiquette, and it's just this kind of having a kind of, radar up for what's going on emotionally in someone's life is really important because what they're doing that day might influence how they're going to be in front of the camera so much so knowing it's so true you you never know what's going on behind closed doors do you when someone turns up to work and you put a smile on but you don't actually know what's going on in the morning or what's like happening in their life but is it with your pictures like is would your goal to be to try and find an emotion? Like say if they were feeling that way, would you capture it so it's like real or would you, like how would you handle that sort of situation? 
It depends how much the person wants to give you because the, what my approach is it's always that relationship is about them giving you something. So they're giving you their time, they're giving you their their attention, you know, they're giving you their, their uh, passion and whether they're totally in the moment or not. And yeah. and it isn't easy. It's not like it's not – I don't – I mean, I don't want to make it sound like it's rocket science because it isn't and it's not heart surgery, but it's not, it's not easy for the person – sometimes to loosen up and because you have to give something to a photo if it's any good you can't just that you can I think that the audience can tell when that's the image it's just a fake moment and where they feel uncomfortable or whether they've had a terrible day or their boyfriend or their girlfriend or whoever's splitting up with them or whether they've had a you know like hang out they've had a big night out or you know, I just think it's they're giving you all of this of them and you have to really respect it and appreciate it so much and at the same time push them and prod them a little bit into giving you that bit extra because you want the picture to be really important. And I think that's the thing when I say, like, I that's where my real talent was always, like, knowing what the – feeling was of the person on set and I lost some of that in the process because I just kind of started to believe my own hype I remember once I said to a a journalist you know everybody everybody in uh, my business are pop photographers I'm a rock photographer I'm like the real thing and I you know I look back at that and I go what an idiot like how did you say that Mm -hmm. and other photographers that I really respect always say things like you've got to fall in love with your subject and I really believe that you've got to really you've got to feel something for them whether you're a proddy photographer or you're a seductive like Mario Testino is a very seductive photographer or mm-hmm. you know whatever it is if you're trying to be provocative it's like you've got to have some empathy for your subject matter and if you don't then I think you take really boring pictures because a lot of the time you're photographing in human condition and if your human condition is one in which you aren't getting a human condition. You're just getting a, a kind of two-dimensional thing. Then it's really dull, I think. Yeah, not as powerful. So to make a great photographer, you think empathy is like one of the most important factors. Yeah, H- having an understanding of the human condition. And and definitely we are all, and this is without question, and I think if you've been photographed by a few people, we're all nosy mofos, yeah. you know, we're very, very nosy. <laughs> tell me this, tell me that. So being inquisitive and loving your subject matter are two of the things I think you have to be able to do. And then and then we all do it differently in the same way that different people make different art, you know. Yeah, no, I think that's great advice for aspiring photographers. But I wondered, like, out of all the, the shoots and all the people that you've taken pictures of, who yeah. like in the public eye has been the most exciting to photograph and then what is your favorite picture that you've taken that's a that's a that's tough like it's, I know that's a tough question i think probably one of my favorite people to photograph was robert downey jr because he's like he's almost like um a comedian He's so funny. He's like, he's got, he's as funny as Ricky Gervais, if you like Ricky Gervais. He's that yeah, fat. Like 
you know, he's so fast with his humour and and then guy. Oh, so funny. And then and then really into the process. And I, I love the I love the people that really enjoy the process of making something with you together, the collaborators, because you know, he's the sort of person and he did this to me where he was enjoying the process and he goes, let's go and do more. Let's go and do more. Let's go outside and do more. And I get really excited when that happens. And those types of people are the ones that I get the buzz out of. But there, and there are other people like Kate Moss, for example, when you photograph her. Yeah. What's that like? Oh man. It's like, it's (laughs) like, it's kind of, magic it's just so it it's so interesting how a lot of the supermodels have just just this got this really unbelievable understanding of themselves and wow. they can be a blank canvas but at the same time be a character themselves within that canvas you know and I find that so exciting to work with and someone like her someone like Kate Moss is like you're just you're getting Kate, but you're also getting this sort of incredible vision, you know. And she seems to have this total understanding of what looks good and wow. and and it's really and it's beautiful. It's really really magical. And I also want to just like uh, just got a couple more cues because time is like literally flying. I'm absolutely loving this. Just finding out your whole story. It's so like inspiring and amazing. Mm. Moving on to the present day, so we've we've spoken about your stories of forty three, but I'm always really interested in the morning routines of successful people. Mm. Like, is there anything that you do in every morning start the day which is non negotiable and it makes you feel empowered? It's like a routine that just gets you starting the day off in a good way. Yeah, I mean, under normal circumstances, uh, which we're not under at the moment, I would always walk the dogs in the morning and that would be my first thing like that gets me out of bed that for me is my setup for the day and I will either read an audiobook or listen to an audiobook I should say or I'll listen to a podcast for probably a three quarters of the walk and I'll always do a little bit of time where I don't have to I've got nothing you know I've got a blank uh, canvas to just think because I think that I need that I really yeah. need that moment, yeah. So do you think, like, meditation, or you mean just to sit and just think and just process? It's, more just, it's just more of a just being bored. I like to make myself bored <laughs> for for hopefully an hour and half an hour a day, and sometimes an hour, just, like, don't do anything but kind of think. Because I have to. If I don't do that, I don't know if meditation would work for me. It probably would, but... This works for me. It's sort of like a form of meditation, like taking that time to just sit and think and then just like processing everything. And then, yeah. so what What are your goals and what have you got your, your sights set on? What's your future plans? Well, I'm working on a, a lot of work direct to client. So that's starting to really become a big part of my day to day. And I and I really enjoy it because I love working directly with clients. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm always like looking for opportunities mm-hmm. because I think it's important to finance your own work as well as, you know, 
make it. So I want to always make sure I can do whatever whatever jobs I want to do. But yeah, I mean, a hundred percent. Like the portraiture is is something that it's almost like a voice calling to me, especially when I haven't done it for three months. Mm-hmm. I haven't really been able to take those. The, the portrait photography is there and it's just, it's just always tapping at the back of my head going, what's the net, what, what, how are you going to do that? And what you, what are you going to do? And I've got all these ideas. So it's, it's kind of working out a, how to, to get the money to do them and then B mm. when to do them. And you know, that, it's that's amazing great. that you, that you do have these incredible ideas, but you also put them into action and you make them happen. Cause that's two very different things. You know, you, so many people have ideas that never actually happen or get off the ground, but you make it happen. Yeah, I don't know why I'm different in that way, but I see it as part of the package. So whenever anybody asks me how I do things, get things done, I will say I'm just very disciplined about structuring my days or my week say I'm all I always make sure I come back to those to-do lists and mm. you know tick them off and if you work with me on the production side I'm quite kind of annoying and they, <laughs> I'm always checking and triple checking and have we yeah. done this and are we doing that and like I'm the person that if the, an email comes in I'm the one that always brings it back round two weeks after and say what's going on what's going with this so that's irritating to a lot of my my team. No, it's attention to detail. Yeah, it's a bit dull, but but but, but I, I and I I guess the other thing is is that I don't mind juggling. People criticise me for it, but I think I've got a brain that can compartmentalise quite quickly. Yeah. It has an influence on some some of the creativity, but then I'm a bit like, you can't have everything, you know. Yeah, no, I think that's a massive skill set to have on top of all the creativity that you have. So it's the perfect combination. Finally, to close each episode, I always ask my guest how they'd like to be remembered and what they'd like their lasting legacy to be. <laughs> quite a question. <laughs> wow. Oh <my> <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> See, I've never really thought about it. So it's always a tough one for me because I guess when I – I'm sorry, this is going to be a bit dull and long. No, go for <laughs> when it. I did, when I did that show back in 2009, I definitely left that. I definitely had that and went, you're okay now. You know, you, I had that quiet word to myself where I went – you got into this because you wanted to capture these moments that would be remembered, whether it's the person you're photographing or the subject you're photographing. Like you want that image to be the image that sticks in people's memories and they, whether it's a person or a a fashion image or I don't know, whatever it is, it's like you want it to be the iconic image. And when Mm. you take pictures, you continue to want those to be pictures that are remembered I like the idea of them being like moments in people's houses. Like I love the idea of in 150 years, someone seeing a picture and it doesn't even have to be of someone famous. And you look at that picture and go, wow, that tells me so much about mm. that person. It's such an iconic image. And I like that feeling that that's 
what my lasting memory will be in as an art as a creative as an artistic mm. person that is so true and art does live on forever and images and yours 100% will so that's this that's the most magical thing I think about creating something and what you've created 100% will live on forever yeah Amazing. Thank you so, 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 so much, Franklin. Honestly, your stories and all the just really inspiring. Like I know loads of people listening to this will just be like, wow, wow, wow. Um, so thank you so much for being so oh, open chatting away. I loved it. Thank you. I'm a bit chatty. Sorry. No, I love it. It's so good. I could, I could literally talk to you all day. But yeah, honestly, oh. thank you so, so much. It's brilliant. Thanks for having me. It's been good fun. Thanks so much for listening, guys. If you like the show, then please could you do your thing and rate, review and subscribe. It helps other people find the show. Thanks so much. And we'll see you next week for another Stories of 29. Another massive thank you to the sponsor of today's episode, Sweaty Betty. They create seriously high quality products. I mean, I still have my first pair of leggings from five years ago. So check out their collection over at sweatybetty.co.uk.